there is little doubt that the Apostle Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians that we'll be looking at today and in the next few weeks, there's no doubt that his life is fascinating, exciting even, and incredibly productive. Humanly speaking, he is the link between the early Jewish church and the early Jewish disciples who knew Christ in the flesh with the message of Christianity going out to the Gentiles in the Roman world. He becomes the apostle to non-Jews as well as to Jews. And he becomes the main interpreter of the gospel under the inspiration of God to the non-Christian world. But though he is productive and influential, his life is filled with obstacles, problems, pressures from the new churches he was building. Religious authorities, secular authorities, are often against him. And he faces disappointment time and time again from the church. And he speaks about this pressure in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, the book that we are looking at. In verse 8 and 9, he says these words. We do not want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Later in the letter, he is going to go into even more detail about the obstacles and problems he has to put up with. Actually, he's even persecuted when he's at Corinth. Now, he writes this letter probably from Ephesus. But while he is at Corinth, he is persecuted. The Jewish religious leaders make a complaint about him. And they bring him before the proconsul of Achaia, a modern, modern-day Greece, a man called Gallio, not not your name, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but it's close, it's close, it's close. And by the way, do you know what I should have said last time? Gallio, who I had forgotten, was the brother of the Stoic philosopher Seneca that I spoke about last time. I spoke about Seneca's letters, if you remember and recommended them as very, very good reading. And you know, this was his proud, his brother. <laughs> this was his brother. I was so thrilled, I was so thrilled that Seneca's brother somehow appears in the book of Acts. And of course, he has a hard time from the Jews at the time, but Seneca's brother just says, well, leave him alone, he hasn't done anything wrong. Anyway. I want to answer a question today. Here's the question. How does Paul survive with all those pressures? How does he make it through? 
I ask the question, not just historically, I ask the question because all of us have got pressures. Got pressures at work. Pressures from our health. Pressures from our families. All sorts of things. We got the pressure of a secular age pressing in on us. How do we endure? How do we endure? I see in these first 11 verses at least three themes that give us an idea about Paul's endurance. Because what we're doing, I'm reminding you of this, when we're looking at 2 Corinthians, we are looking at the life of Paul as well. It's the most autobiographical of all his letters. And you get three themes seeping out of the words of these first 11 verses. How could he survive? What's the secret, or some of the secret, of Paul's successful service? The first one is easy to miss. This is really easy to miss. And over the years, I think I've missed it. I've missed it. But it's there, hidden, in plain sight. And it seems to be a key pillar for Paul in surviving and enduring hardship. It's found hidden in the greeting of verse 1. So here it is. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. It's there. Now, most times when we start reading a book and we read that, we don't go anywhere. We just, we want to start the book. But really, here, you have a major reason in Paul's personal philosophy of survival. I wonder if you've seen it. By the will of God. He's an apostle by the will of God. Now, let's put it another way. Paul knows that he is called to this work by God. God's called him to do it. He is an apostle by the will of God. The noun apostolos occurs about in 80 times, and it means apostle, that is, divinely appointed messenger or representative. So we've got to link this with Paul, because that's his big link. Paul knows that the mission he is on, what he is doing from day to day, the traveling, the preaching, overseeing the team, he's always in a team, if you notice, it's not just his good idea. It's he didn't wake up one morning and say, you know, this is what I think I'm going to do. I'm going to just stick my neck out and do this. Maybe there's some money in it, a bit of adventure. I'm going to do this. Not at all. He is called by God to do it. And he remains convinced that God is in it. Now, in chapter 9 of Acts, the Lord tells Ananias concerning Saul. And you remember that Saul, Paul, is going to Damascus and he hears a voice and he's blinded and then he meets a man called Ananias in the street called Straight. 
in Damascus. I've actually been to the street in Damascus. And it is straight. It's still there. It was so exciting. And there was a, a small church on the corner. And they said, this is where Ananias lived. We don't know that. But I made sure that I walked the whole street. So at least I walked in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. It was fantastic. Fantastic. I really, really enjoyed that. And it was there in Straight Street that Ananias saw these words. Verse 15. Go. This is what he's going to pass this on. He hears, Ananias hears from God that this is what he's got to do. Go. This man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Notice that little addition. He is called to do this, but he's also reminded that part of the calling is called to suffer. Those of you who've been in the armed forces, generally when you... I've never been in the armed forces at all. But I hear that the first few weeks are pretty hard. They're pretty hard. So you don't just go there in order to see the world. It's going to be hard. There's going to be suffering as well. And you get the training as well when you go there. But note the themes here. He is a chosen instrument. He's going to carry my name and how he must suffer for my name. He knows this is on the cards. He is not surprised by this. Some people say, well, I'm a Christian. I, I shouldn't suffer. Yeah, get over it. You're going to. You're going to. Paul is telling the story in Acts chapter 22. And he ends by saying these words, verse 21. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. God told me to do this. So number one, how do we survive in our calling? To know that our calling is God's idea, not ours. God's idea. Called to the work. The pastor is someone who must have a call to the work. A call. An elder, a group leader, an administrator. We are called to the work of God. It's a vital thing. But I want to add something. Because some of you are saying, well, I've just got a secular job. I'm just a headmaster of Lintech. <laughs> that, that's what I am. You know, have I got to be called of God? Yes, you are. Whatever we do, God is calling us. That's why we need to be before God in prayer when we take decisions. Because God calls his people to be involved in whatever they do. He calls us. A sense of knowing that you are fulfilling God's will in your life. You have a purpose, a vision, and a hope. Paul isn't in the work just for himself. As I said, he's not there 
just to see the world, which I'm sure is great, just to make money, which is good as well. But he is called to the work. His motivation comes from his calling. It's a deep motivation to preach the kingdom of God. I've got to do this. I'm called to do it. This is my job. I have been set aside to do this. We need motivation. I'm sure most of us, as we've looked at the worsening state of the Ukrainian war, the invasion illegal by Putin of Ukraine, and we've seen Ukrainian soldiers motivated for their nation. They are really motivated. So much that thousands have gone back to Ukraine in order to fight for their nation. They return to fight. Why? Because they believe in the righteousness of their cause. To do something, we need to believe in the righteousness of our cause and we need motivation. If you haven't got motivation, you'll give up easily. Easily. Those of you who have been into running will know that. I might surprise you by telling you that I used to be a runner. It wasn't very good. But I, I, I liked long distance running. It was fun. It was fun. And a friend of mine, and we'd go training together. The longest I've ever run is 17 miles. I've never done a marathon. But I did 17 miles non-stop. And let me tell you, at the end of those 17 miles, I was tired. Guaranteed tired. It was a hot day. I remember it well. And at times, that run hurt me. I felt a stitch. At this, we call it a stitch. Do you call it that in here? You do. Some of you do, at least. And I can remember running and the stitch. Ah! And what, what my friend had told me was, yes, you've got to run through the stitch. You've got to just run through it and you keep on going. And I kept on going. And in the end, well, you know, I was motivated to do these 17 miles. And it was hard. And I was tired and I, for the, I, I probably slept for a day and a half afterwards, but whatever. We it must expect hardship in our calling. And to expect it is to halfway deal with it. If you're going to run and you think it's just going to be easy, why run? Why bother if it's that easy? And I'm always very proud that right at the end of that run, I did a sprint towards the end. Oh! I felt great and then collapsed. But that's besides the point. But the first thing I want to say, and the theme I see here, what helps us endure in our Christian walk is we are called. We're doing what God has called us to do. We're doing what is right. And I believe. I was called to Llanelli to do five years Christian work. I was called to Armenford to do 18 years as a pastor there and to Lynn here. I believe God called me. Called me. God calls. And I believe God calls each and every one of us 
to various things in our lives. Paul knows this, therefore he can endure. Secondly, another thing he knows is the truth about the God who calls him. He talks about God. Listen, listen. Verse 3. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father of compassion. God of all comfort. God who raises the dead. To sum up, we could say, he's a God of compassion and a God of power. Paul believes in a God who is compassionate, but a God who is also powerful. This is the God he believes who has called him. He knows. And whatever happens, he knows that God is compassionate. And that God will comfort his people. He refuses to believe that hard times mean that God is not around. He refuses that. Actually, he goes the extra mile in this passage and says, God even uses the hard times so that I can encourage other people with the compassion that I have received. I can bubble over with the compassion I've received from God and pass it on to others. God can use hard times for good. Now, this is dealt with in more detail in the letter to the Philippians. And Paul is writing there from jail. And even from jail, he says, it's okay, don't worry about me. It's okay. I'm able to be a witness here in jail. Don't worry about me. I'm, I'm okay. It's fantastic. I like Paul. I like him. I like him. The argument goes something like this. When we experience God's comfort and compassion during hard times, we are more able to show compassion ourselves to other people who are going through trouble. Let me give an illustration. One of my great heroines in the faith, I've spoken about her a number of times in church, is Johnny Erickson Tada. How many of you have read the book or seen the movie? Just give me an idea. That's quite a bit, actually, as Christian movies and Christian books go. When you read her autobiography, for those of you who haven't seen the movie or whatever, for well over half a century, 50 years, she has been involved in working with those who are going through suffering. Especially those who are paralyzed and have severe disabilities. She was paralyzed as a quadriplegic, I think at the end of the 60s, maybe at the beginning of the 70s. She was the great heroine, the Christian heroine of the early 70s. Everyone had read uh, Joni Erickson's uh, book. And it talks about her witness and her painting. And, and she paints with her, with her mouth. And it's incredible, just incredible. And I remember her in 1996 on the Evangelical Alliance Conference in England. It was the 150th anniversary of the Evangelical Alliance in Britain. And I was there, and I was actually looking after her seminar. What fantastic. Me looking after her seminar. I was like this. It's great. I had ten minutes talking to her. Just me and her as well. It was a real joy. I can't remember what she spoke about in the actual conference. 
But what I can tell you is I saw God in her. I can see her face now on the big screen. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. This is incredible. It wasn't what she said. It was how she was saying it. Incredible. And throughout the years, I followed what she has said and her life. And in 2015, apart from being a quadriplegic, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. How do you respond? I can imagine that she would respond something like this. How I would respond, or you might respond. Oh, all the things I've gone through. I can't walk. I can't do this. I can't do that. And now I've got breast cancer. Where are you, Lord? She doesn't do that. What does she say? She says, I thank God that now I can understand my brothers and sisters who are battling this disease. Now I am better able to help them. That's what you call faith. Incredible. Incredible. She's been diagnosed now the second time with cancer. She knows like Paul, verse 9, her heart had felt the sentence of death. And yet she uses it as an opportunity for God. Paul or Johnny Erickson don't pretend there is no suffering. The gospel is not a health and wealth gospel to make you rich and everything is going to go well. If you think so, and if you think you're going to hear that in this church, go somewhere else. Because it's not coming from me. I tell you that now. God doesn't promise a perfect life for us here. He doesn't. But he promises to be with us. He promises to keep us and look after us and use us for his purpose. That he promises. Promises. But lastly, he realizes that his God is not only compassionate, but powerful. And he is able to exercise his faith in God's power. Listen to verse 9. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There is suffering. There is hardship. But God can bring us through. God can heal. I believe that. Please don't get me wrong. God can supply our need. God can break in to our situation. That's why we have a prayer chain. That's why we have a prayer meeting. If God can't break in, don't bother praying. Why bother? But we do bother because that's how we link to the power of God, the God who raises the dead and who's displayed it in his Son, Jesus Christ. Paul has witnessed this in his past, verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. So he calls us to faith and hope. And he calls us to rely again on his power. 
and his methodology of doing this is prayer it's the link between faith hope and power prayer paul knows that he is called he knows god is compassionate and he knows that god works through prayer his prayers and other people's prayers listen to verse 11 and 12 he speaks of them as helping us by your prayers by your prayers verse 12 gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many i haven't got the full answer to prayer i haven't i'm not going to kid you i don't know why sometimes god doesn't seem to answer or we ask for something and it doesn't come i, I don't know i don't but i know we are called to pray i know that and for me i'm going to continue to pray i still believe in in prayer meetings i believe in prayer public prayer private prayer because that prayer links us with a god of compassion and with a god of power i've never been a climber i've done lots of things in my life but i've never really been a climber except in my childhood when i climbed trees i love trees for some reason i was always on top of a tree if i saw a tree i would climb a tree very dangerous same you were the same just so that i could not resist it and i was really good i get right to the top but generally speaking i've never been a climber and i try to think of a time where i've been on a cliff face and it's only once i've ever been on a cliff face and i was taking my youth group i've used the story before i was taking my youth group on an outdoor pursuits thing and we had a group of trained people with us and there was a sheer cliff and we had to climb this sheer cliff so of course i'm the youth leader so i'm going to go first yeah now we had a rope we had a safety rope and everything was right so i'm getting up there and there's a crack in the rock I always remember it three cliffs bay that's where it was on the gower peninsula climbing up there and all my youth group going looking like that at me and me trying to be brave and then i made a mistake mistake i made i put my foot there in the crack and then put my other foot on top of it so i then couldn't take my other foot out to put it back i was stuck so here i was halfway up the cliff stuck looking like an idiot and i didn't know what to do and i remember that the girl on top I, I remember her well kathy she's still a friend of mine and kath said just let go it's okay i said you're joking <laughs> no, no let go she says it's okay let go and you can we can start we can help no 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 and in the end i had to let go and i was i was safe i was on the safety I, i was linked to safety and what god tells us is this by prayer we're linked to god there will be hard times there will be hard climbs in our lives we'll make mistakes in our lives but god has called us to that hard climb and he'll hold us when we slip let's pray heavenly father thank you for the apostle paul and everything 
that he teaches us through his life and through his witness. Bless us now, we pray, as we continue to build this church. Lord, you're the God who brings life out of death and health out of COVID. In Jesus' name. Amen.